Hi, this is Sam Chamberlain, and welcome to Things to Ponder, the sermon podcast from St. Mary's United Church of Christ in Silver Run, Maryland. Follow along with St. Mary's at stmarysucc.org or on Facebook and Instagram. Wishing you peace and good, my friends. So now that we have fully and totally, we've sort of getting, gotten through Advent, Epiphany, the installation of consistory and all that kind of stuff, we settle on, on this on four weeks of worship that is sort of nondescript. It is often known as the season, after, the season of Epiphany. But, and there's some interesting stories that happen in the lectionary, but there's not a lot going on. And so I want to use this time to talk about some very specific things. And so this week, and for the three weeks following, I want to start a new sermon series that I am calling, What Now? Faith After a Pandemic. We're going to be looking at what life on the other side of this pandemic is going to look like, not waiting until we're actually able to reconvene, but starting to think about it now. So let's begin this by saying that we are still some ways from the end of this pandemic. What that means for us as a church remains in flux. We're not quite sure. Nobody knows kind of what is going to happen in the weeks to come. Now there's a vaccine and we're not sure how that is going to impact things. But regardless of when we gather, the pandemic is going to be here for a good bit of the year. I am under no illusions that the world is somehow safe just because we turn the calendar over from 2020 to 2021. All of us would love to ball the pandemic up, just stick it in one year and send it off into the wilderness. That is not how this is going to work. But I do feel in my soul, part of this is having lived through a pandemic, part of it is having been here for almost a year now. I feel in my soul a responsibility for us to start looking ahead. Please don't hear this in grandiose terms. I don't pretend to be Moses, but I am inspired by Moses in that I know that there is a promised land coming. This is all going to go away one day. One day things are going to be better. I know the promised land is ahead. And I feel a responsibility to get ready and to do what I can to make sure that we are ready. And so, like Moses, the people of Israel wandering in the desert for 40 years, and that seems about right the way we've experienced the pandemic. Like Moses, we do multiple things. We get to worshiping, and we figure out what worship looks like. We teach ourselves to rely on God's provision as the people had manna in the wilderness and water from a rock. We mess up and we repent and we get back to the journey just like the people of Israel did. They screwed it up so many times and we're grumbling and we're griping, grumbling at God, getting upset with Moses, fighting each other. We do all that, we mess it up, we repent and we get back to what we were doing. And it was because of Moses' leadership in the wilderness that Joshua was able, in Joshua chapter 1, to stand up on the very first day of his leadership of Israel and say these words. He said, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful in wherever you go. Joshua could give that order because the people had been getting ready. And then the first thing that they do immediately is Joshua gives this rousing speech to the people. The first thing they do is to go spy out Jericho. And Jericho is one of the great, great miracles of the entire Old Testament. Miracles happened right off the bat because the people had been preparing. 
that kind of narrative, preparing in the wilderness so that, we, so that miracles will happen on the other side. That is what is in my heart because that's what the wilderness has shown us. We are being prepared. Yes, this wilderness that we've been in has been full of miracles, but the promised land contains its own discoveries, which I'm excited to discover. Now, the temptation is to think that our job in this whole pandemic is simply to endure the wilderness. If we just make it through the pandemic, we'll be fine. Everything will go back to normal. We can kind of plop down in our pews and just get back to life as it was. That is a temptation. And the point of the wilderness is not simply to survive it. While a sense of rest, of Sabbath, and yes, even of celebration will be in order as we are able to regather, we should not act as if plopping back down in our assigned pew is the most faithful thing that we can do. The wilderness is preparation. We are called, friends, to lean into this moment. Infused with the energy that comes from the hope, knowing that something else is coming, and awash in what we have learned over the last year, we lean into this moment to push ahead in faith so that we might share the good news of the gospel in ways that we could have done before. I believe this is what we're about Christians. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. He writes, the days are wicked, which rings in my ears the same Jesus' words when he said the harvest is plentiful. These days are hard. They're is made this year incredibly hard. But Jesus hears it as the harvest is plentiful. So make the most of every opportunity. Let your heart be filled with the goodness of the gospel. Communicate in all the ways you do and let the combination of your memory of what we've endured and your anticipation of what is yet to come, let that work together to take us to tomorrow. So what opportunities are present for us? What does 2021, 22, and on look like? This moment requires us to be as good at cultural exegesis as biblical exegesis. Now I know a bunch of you are going, uh, Sam, easy on the Latin, and that's fine. Exegesis is the work that we do, particularly around the Bible, where we dive deep into the scriptures to understand what it's saying to us. And so that we break open our Bibles and we're doing Bible study and we're cross-referencing things and you'll hear out of me a million times always asking, what does the text say? What is the author trying to get at? All of that work, trying to understand the text, is what we mean by exegesis. We all do it. But we in this moment have to be as good at cultural exegesis as we are at biblical exegesis. The question for us is to examine how has the world changed? And how can we allow those changes to shape our work? That's the work I want to do over the next four weeks to examine what it seems to be happening and to use that to imagine what might need to happen so that we can make the most opportunity, as Paul asks us to do. And so in the spirit of change, I wanted to share a little story with you. Change smacked me in the face when I had a chance to talk to one of my best friends in the entire world. I met him in college, we played hockey together, and so every six months or so, we text back and forth. If, those of you who have friends like this, you know how it is. We 
each other for months and then we pick it up and then it's like we never stop talking. I love him to death. He's, he's always going to be my best friend. So we're talking. We're watching some hockey. We're making our predictions for the year. I mean, doing what a couple of college bros do. And he says, so, dot, dot, dot. And I'm like, I know that's not good. He's not breaking up with me, is he? Like, what, what, are, we, what are we doing here? And the next thing I see is he says, we're thinking really hard about moving to Mexico. Excuse me? I'm very grateful that he's not breaking up with me, but this is far from that. I'm like, what in the world are you doing going to Mexico? I mean, he's a Philly boy. He's been living in Virginia. Like, Mexico? What are you doing? And they go on to explain that this year has changed everything for them. Both he and his company have figured out that being in an office is not necessary. And he looked at me and he said, he said, I'm never going back to the office. Never going back. So he literally, because of the work that he does, he literally can work from anywhere. And so he's like, well, where in the, where, where in the world do we want to go? He and his wife love the Caribbean they, and they love the Yucatan coast and they found a little community down there and they're looking at real estate as we speak this morning. And when the odd face-to-face is required, you can always jump on a plane. I mean, once that's a thing again. So he's like, it's no big deal. I come back to the States three times a year, and I'm able to work from the Yucatan coast. So he's likely going to hang out there and text about hockey scores with me. And I have a suspicion he'll be the only person in Mexico texting anybody about hockey scores. That's when I knew the rules have changed. Things are in motion that will not be set back the way they were been reading that things are moving into our homes that used to be done outside the home. Think about it. Our work has come home. Shopping has come home. Food. Fitness. Even fitness. Like, we don't even go to a gym anymore. Fitness is back in. School is back in our homes. And yes, even church, even the thing we're doing right now, this is coming straight into your home. And you're like, well, that can't last forever. What we're discovering is that for churches that have returned to some form of in-person worship, they've seen an average attendance of about 36% of what they had before. Even with reopening and with a vaccine, it is going to take some time for habits to change. I mean, we've been getting used to this for a year now. And indeed, stories like my friend Matt tells me that some things will never bounce back. Some things are just permanently changed. And we're going to live in this tension for a while of what did we just do for a year? What has irrevocably gone a different direction? We're going to live in this tension for a while. But it's precisely that, a tension. It's not a problem. It's not some crumbling of who we are as a people. It's not a destruction. There will be problems with it, yes. But it is a tension. There are some things that are beautiful and glorious. It's kind of cool that you can work for an American company from Mexico. It's kind of cool that people, I have, a, I have a sneaking suspicion that there are four or five different states represented on our feed this morning. That's incredible. It has problems, yes, there are shortcomings, but it's a tension to manage, not a problem to solve. Jesus lived in the same sort of tension between old expectations and new realities. This, of course, is the story of the woman who couldn't stand up. This story is situated in a much longer narrative. I encourage you to read all of Luke 13. It's all tied together. And just prior to this reading, Luke tells us that 18 people were just walking along in the middle of Jerusalem and a wall fell upon them and killed 18 of them. The community's struggling. We can imagine what that would be like. 
And then this woman shows up and she can't stand fully upright and has been this way for 18 years. This number 18, don't read too much into it, but it does connect these communal realities. The community is suffering because of the loss of these people. And it also says there are individual realities. There's individual suffering in the world. And we are, we are in this tension. The suffering to which Jesus is called and the suffering to which the church is called is both communal, social, and personal. And so this woman hobbles her way into the synagogue on the Sabbath. And without much detail, it simply says that Jesus does what Jesus does. He puts his hands on her, and she is able to stand up, and she praises God. Great story, right? Should be the end of it. Boom, boom, boom. Hooray, Jesus. There's always a, there's always a fly in the ointment. And the synagogue leader gets mad. He says, there are six days for work. This is absolutely a dude talking. There are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days and not on the Sabbath. <laughs> be healed on the Sabbath? What a ridiculous notion. We're reading this going, my man, what, what are you doing? But let's think about all this. Of course, we could all look at this from the point of the view of the synagogue leader who says, hey, we have a certain way of being here. Don't mess it, mess it up. But let's hear, that, let's hear it the way the, this woman would have heard it. She hears this. Her synagogue leader, who seems unconcerned with her plight, unwilling to celebrate her victory, unwilling to break the rules for a single moment, that she could be relieved of 18 years of misery. That's how Jesus sees it. Jesus does not identify with the synagogue leader. Jesus identifies with this woman. He says, you hypocrites. You treat your animals with some level of care, even on the Sabbath. Why won't you care for one another? You break the rules, animal can get water, and yet we can't break some of the rules for our own neighbor. In fact, Jesus switches it up. He doesn't just say, well, go ahead. You know, it's okay every once in a while if you kind of mix some things up or break the rules. No, what he says, says this is a daughter of Abraham. This is a child of Israel, who, and she is bound up. So and because she's a child of Abraham, she should specifically be set free on the Sabbath. This isn't just breaking the rules. This is the most appropriate day to do this. How dare us otherwise? Breaking the rules is exactly appropriate if it means bringing comfort and healing to the world and to our neighbors. Breaking the rules is exactly what we do if it helps us heal the, heal the issues in our community and heal issues that are inside of our own heart. Fortunately, we have some good experience in this. This year, we have broken all kinds of rules. We've certainly done our share of that. But you know what's funny? people from church. Breaking the rules has not kept people from being interested in spirituality. What's funny is that across our nation, as we have had everything scrambled and reorganized for us, church attendance is up. In fact, our neighbors are leaning in to our message of the good news harder than ever. Story after story is about how this moment has called people back to their most core beliefs, and all along, church now is more accessible than ever. Church is really accessible to the point where there's a bunch of other guys that I've played hockey with who are logging in just to see what's up. That's freaking me out. Hi, guys. It's good to see you. But like people who never would 
And here are like, you know, I'm going to check out and see what Sam's doing this morning. It's crazy. Folks are connected with others in brand new ways. Spirituality books and YouTube streams and in-home gatherings and meditation sites are all experiencing a meteoric rise. Friends, we as a culture are still fascinated by spirituality and by faith. It's just changed how it's being delivered. The in-person experience is never going to go away. So we, and we are not being invited to sort of say, Online is the only way to do it. No, no, no. What we're saying is that we are being invited to add a different way of thinking about connecting with others, mostly in an online experience, but not exclusively. We are simply being invited to add that to the ways that we think about our ministry and how we care for our community and one another. And from the point of view of our faith, it's absolutely fine that things are in flux. It's absolutely fine. Things have always been in flux in the community of faith. The fact that things are uprooted is not the problem. The issue is whether we are willing and ready in faith and in love to adjust to those truths, to do our cultural exegesis, to see what's happening and to meet people where they actually are. And in doing so, create new ways forward for people to hear a good word. And the good news is is that we've done that. That's 2020. We've absolutely done that. That's what we're doing this morning with a new camera, audio, Cameras and audio are not the gospel, but it is a way to get the gospel out. So our call is to keep doing and the boldness that Christ himself shows and the creativity and the boldness that Christ invites his church into. So as we move forward, what does it look like then to create online spaces as a legitimate, uh, as a legitimate expression of ministry? What does it look like to orient ourselves that there's a really good chance that every single time we gather, in person or online, there will be someone new. How do we orient to that as opposed to sort of, sort of orienting ourselves to what is already here? What does it look like to are emerging like crazy? There's a new one, it seems like, every single day. What does it mean for us to train ourselves to use those tools as skillfully as use a Bible or an acolyte stick? What does that look like? I don't know, but I know that's what 2021 is about. That's what life after a pandemic looks like. Not the loss, but the discovery of incredible new ways of being the church. And so we're invited to reflect on that, to meditate on it, to let Jesus take us to the places where he is calling us. To do so with creativity and with boldness and with love in our hearts for our neighbors. And just like the people in the wilderness, we'll spend our time doing this right now. We'll do our worship and we'll figure some things out. We'll learn to trust on God's and we'll figure some things out. We're going to screw some things up. Some things are going to annoy us and we'll repent and we'll get back on our way because God is taking us to a promised land, a land where the gospel comes in ways we never thought possible. 